Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good, oh, good afternoon. <laughs> well, and uh, I'm here with uh, Blaine Bartlett. That's learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. My friend who creates the mindset mastermind. Your mind gives every meaning to what we see. Thank you for joining us. Melena, how are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. Awesome. Excited for this, this event here. Oh, if you think you're excited, you see how excited Blaine and I are. This is our favorite time of the week, or at least mine. I'm speaking for Blaine. But, oh, no, you know, for me as well. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting because, uh, you know, I've worked for really large companies and really small companies. And one of the large companies I worked for was out of Minnesota uh, as well. And you're the senior vice president and chief, chief marketing officer at 3M Transportation and Electronic Business Group. Uh, which I think has the best of both worlds because you have the extraordinary stability of a company that may be the size of most countries, uh, but you also have the flexibility and creative innovation of a smaller business unit that can change the world. And I've been doing a lot of due diligence in your space and uh, it seems to me that your business group is innovating uh, to change the world from a small part of our world. And I'd love for you to share kind of what 3M Transportation and Electronic Business Group is doing up there in Minnesota. Yes. So for, first of all, so 3M, for people that don't know, it's it's a large multinational corporation. And really, you know, our job, you know, is to apply, you know, science to life. So, you know, we really look to, you know, tackle biggest challenge around the world and really le leverage our technologies and create transformer solutions to continue to help advancement. And that's part of what we do in the transportation electronics business group. We are really focused on you know, dynamic markets such as transportation, auto electrification, consumer electronics, amongst others. So you know, what we do is are really working super close to our customers to understand the challenge that they're facing, you know, how they're trying to advance you know, tomorrow's you know, technology and how we can partner together to help them be successful uh, through the journeys to the you know, path that they're you know, embracing. You know, I find that fascinating because 3M typically, you know, and, and I'm going to date myself here a little bit, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, 3M. Uh, it's not typically known uh, for its expertise in the electronic field. Um, so, um, and, and you're also leading uh, the uh, 3, you know, 3M's uh, Latin Resource Network. And, and I'm going to kind of hone in on the word network there as well. Yeah. How, how are you positioning 3M? Uh, in what was really kind of a crowded space uh, from uh, in, in the uh, the electronic, you know, just kind of very large mm -hmm. frame of the electronic space. Yeah, and sure. So, information as far as that goes, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, in our business, we are almost like that hidden component. You know, you're just a few meters away from a 3M solution. So think about it. You know, your computer right now, your cell phone, your smartwatch, and so on most likely they have 3M products on it. And those are products that are coming from that transportation electronics group. So it could be adhesives, could be tapes, could be, you know, display films and different things. And so for the electronics markets, you know, for us, it's really key to partner with those large corporations. As you know, technology is advancing every day. And, you know, us as users, we're looking for ways to, to be more efficient or technology connected. But we also face challenges as we are using those electronics devices, correct? So as you know, those companies are trying to tap and make sure that you know cell phones would have long-last batteries or they would be you know resistant to impact water and so on. 
PM is there to work with them on those uh, those you know specific challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. And so, as a global leader, you know, 3M, and I don't want to age myself, but obviously one of the most successful and biggest businesses. And when I was graduating law school uh, and worked for West Publishing up there in Minnesota, as big as we were in 1995 when we exited for 3.4 billion. Uh, you know, everyone thought that was extraordinary, except for the people that work for 3M. Uh, and you started as a th as an intern uh, yes. in Brazil, uh, mm -hmm. and as a young woman there in Brazil, as an intern for a company like 3M. You know, you have grown and moved through the organization to be a chief marketing officer. Mm -hmm. uh, 3M is also known for inclusion. Uh, what is the difference of 3M as far as opportunities within the organization? It seems to me from historical perspective of, of women, people of color and, and other uh, more challenged uh, employees, they've mm -hmm. always been given more opportunity within 3M than other large organizations historically. How was your experience there uh, going through the ranks up to chief marketing officer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and David has been a wonderful experience, and that's the reason why I'm still with the company. I'm over 20 years here, and have loved every single opportunity. Plus, they hire five-year-old. You've been there 28 years. Thank they hire you. Exactly. Exactly. You're right on. Right on the money. Yeah. <laughs> labor laws. Now we know how 3M does it. They hire five-year-olds. There we go. Exactly. But you know, for 3M inclusion, it is important, and we are advancing so much on that. So I you know I see you know many of my peers, many women that have been successful people of colors, there is a great, you know, Latin community and we're, you know, making a lot of efforts and strides to really continue to increase, you know, our diversity and inclusion efforts at 3M. But for me, it was wonderful. I always felt that it was an opportunity. I always felt, you know, part of the company. I love the culture. And I think what is unique of 3M, it's the diversity of the company. We're just not only diversified in global scale, but diversity of business and customers. So, you know, the different positions and roles that I had, you almost feel like you work for different companies or get to learn new customers, new markets, new technologies. So that's very cool. And I had, you know, started in Brazil, came to the US, was in Belgium, working in a European role. It was in Chile, leading a few countries in Latin America and back to, to global roles. So, you know, anyone at 3M, uh, if, you know, they have the willingness and wants to, to grow, there is wonderful opportunity. Yeah, my experience with 3M goes back, you know, probably about 35 mm -hmm. years. So when I was living in Minnesota, I uh, knew some folks that were at 3M. And one of the things that struck me then uh, was it's, and you mentioned the culture, was the inclusion in the hiring process and actually just in, in, in the work, you know, just how work was done around inclusion. It was, it was I mean, being in, in Minnesota, yeah, white male dominated, and I mean white male dominated, mm -hmm. but there was, there was, 30 years ago, there was an uh, absolute uh, focus on how can we be more inclusive, not just at the line level, but at the uh, the senior levels in the organization. And I was very struck by that as, as, a, as a young consultant doing some work in that area. How has 3M managed to keep that in the soul of the business uh, as, it, as it's actually worked uh, over mm -hmm. the course of these decades? Yeah, there's a lot of programs in place, you know, to to advance, you know, diversity in the corporation. So from, you know, leadership training to development, but also, as you said, from the hiring perspective, right? If we don't attract the right talent and if we don't have the right values and programs inside of the company to keep those talents, that's not any good. 
Plus, we have the advantage that we have global locations, so we also can have talent that we can bring from place to another and also create a little bit more of that cultural inclusion as well. So that's uh, really, really a big benefit. And I can tell you that, you know, uh, from when I moved here to the U.S., I uh, was back end of 2001 to now, you know, it's, it's tremendous, the shift that we can. At the leadership levels, you see much, you know, greater, you know, diversity of leadership styles and, you know, people and women and so on. So big, big change. Tram is making great strides. And, you know, if you go to our website, you're going to see there's lots of programs in place to continue to accelerate the path. That's yeah, David, go ahead. Also, you know, <laughs> being there over, uh, oh, sorry, it was a little choppy. Um, I was going to say also on the marketing front, you know, you've been in the forefront of marketing for almost three decades, unbelievably enough. Uh, within the context of electronics and transportation, how has uh, the marketing objectives shifted with social media in such a traditional business unit like transportation and electronics? Yeah, it's shifting a lot. And I would say um, there's many negative sides of the pandemic, but the positive side is that really forced us to embrace you know, new projects, new habits, new ways of doing things. So I would say, uh, especially on the B2B side of 3M, we used to be a little bit more traditional, a lot of that face-to-face -face approach. And through the pandemic, of course, all of us, we were forced to use much more phones, websites, texts, and interact virtually. So more than ever, we had to shift our programs and focus and really boost our digital strategy and find ways that we could help our sales reps and our application engineers to be as effective as they were in that face-to-face -face engagement with our customers, but now in a virtual environment. So we did you know, huge shifts uh, during the last year and this year and how engagement, the, you know, how we shift our investments to more you know, digital versus traditional programs and we are continuing to do so. We have, you know, many projects uh, in place to to continue to accelerate that. And with your work, I mean, because you've got a you know, your your portfolio is actually quite broad. I mean, yeah. As I, mm -hmm. I kind of look at what you're doing here, and the idea of um, you know being the the, the group leader um, um, of three M's Latin America resources or Latin America's network. How are you balancing all of that with your, and this is a personal question, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. because I find it fascinating to see how senior executives actually are able to yeah, take such diversity in their portfolios mm -hmm. and actually work with them well. So yeah. what, what's your secret sauce here? Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm one of the sponsors for one of the pillars. There's many other leaders engaged as mm -hmm. well. But, but for me, it's it's yeah. about, you know, the passion for people development, right? I had wonderful opportunities at 3M, and it's not because I'm Latin, I'm a woman, and so on, uh, that, you know, that, that I don't think others can do. So how can I help, you know, make sure that we're going to have broad and diverse talent? Because actually when I see, you know, even with my group, that diverse of mindsets, diverse of experiences, it's so helpful for us because our customers are diverse in base. So I think that, you know, when you're passionate for something and when you want to make a difference and also see others growing, you, you just find time for that. And, you you know, you mentioned how we're all about three feet away from one 3M product or another. Mm -hmm. um, and they're here to improve our daily lives with, you know, better technology. So 
what product do you most think of when you think of a total impact on somebody's lives that we may or may not know comes from 3M? What's one of the products that you're most proud of, maybe in Latin America or around the world, that has the most impact that we just take for granted? Yeah, I would say uh, one that is probably, you know, that I'm really proud, you know, recently through the pandemic is our respirator solutions. You know, they were critical during pandemic to make sure that would people, you know, would be safe. They would arrive back home to their families, especially if they were, you know, workers in the healthcare business in situations where they were more exposed to, you know, to the, the, to the virus, to everything that was going on. I would say there's many products that I'm really excited about 3M, but lately I would say our, you know, respirators uh, has been, you know, just a unique component that was so critical, you know, during the pandemic. And another one, you know, we have, you know, cleaning solutions at 3M, uh, and we work so close with, you know, with facilities and with many companies to ensure that they would have the proper cleaning protocols. And as now we get back to business, how do we ensure that people can be go and enjoy life and be safe, that, you know, things would be clean, that things would be controlled, and that they can actually get back to whatever is a new normal now. Wow, that's wonderful. You are my second favorite three M's. My first are my three daughters, uh, who are all M's <laughs> as well, Marissa, Marlena, and Mia. Uh, but beyond that- My daughter's also Mia. No, perfect. And you're Marlena. It's all M's, see? My, my last name is Melcher, so they're really M and M's. So I got two, two companies to compete with, 3M and Hershey's. So uh, both extraordinary companies uh, that are changing our lives. You have a more positive impact than uh, I think M&M's does. Uh, so thank you so much for saving lives with your innovation and changing lives with your marketing. Melina Oliveira, thank you for joining us, the Chief Marketing Officer of 3M Transportation Electronic Business Unit. Come join us again anytime. Be happy to. Thank you very much for this time. Great. Thank you. Loved having you on the show. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Awesome. That. I still can't believe you've been there 28 years. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Good stuff. Yeah, there's so, you know, so many cool things. You know, I think of 3M as tape. I didn't think of it as saving lives yeah. with a respirator. But uh, we have a new, a new guest coming on, our managing partner with Emblem, uh, Mario Natarelli, probably not from Brazil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Mario? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing really well today. Thank you. Great. Oh. Looks like we've got a bit of an internet uh, glitch going on right now. Matt. Yeah, David just, uh, Harry, he's back. He's back. I'm happy it wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, you're back, David. No, no, you're not. Okay. Well, while we're waiting for David to sort this out, Mario, uh, yeah, Emblem, um, yeah, your brand intimacy COVID study. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I, you know, just the very high level research that I you know, did you know, just prior to the show here. Give us a little bit of a cliff note version of what you're up to because it's really interesting stuff. And I, I think it's really significant what you're doing. Thank you. Sure. So Emblem is a brand consultancy. We're headquartered in New York City. We have offices in five countries and I'm the managing partner and we are in our 11th year of existence. And we created the agency around this concept of brand intimacy. And it's basically predicated on this concept that we know when you make a decision that 
emotion drives that decision. Behavioral scientists have proven that. And we also know that most marketing and marketers and their programs, frameworks, and ways of measuring success aren't oriented around that uh, idea, that emotion drives our decisions. We like to think of ourselves as rational creatures, but we, uh, we ultimately post-rationalize the decisions we make, emotionally driven ones. So we wanted to understand how do we measure emotion and the bonds that we form with the brands that we use, and then what can we learn from people who, brands that do this very well? So we've been doing an annual study and ranking brands. We've written a book uh, on brand intimacy. And we also thought it would be interesting since COVID and also um, at this sort of in market right now at the end of what we hope is the end of COVID, what has changed? Um, and so those studies and that information is all available. And I can get into more details about it if that's helpful. Yeah, I, I, I would actually like to explore that a little bit because yeah, as we start to emerge you know, in fits and starts <laughs> from uh, right. from COVID, uh, what are you finding? And, and the idea here, and, and, and I really want to, for those of you that were listening and may have missed him mentioning this, we'd like to think of ourselves as uh, having free will and that we are making rational decisions in our purchasing processes, but we really aren't. It's, it's driven by emotion to a significant degree. And then we post-rational, and this is the word you use, post-rationalize what we did. So how is this coming into play in, in what you're seeing with brands uh, today? Well, the first thing we had to do is understand how do you measure this, right? We learned a lot of things along the way, and this is an evolving study. Uh, so it started with a lot of qualitative research work, global qualitative work that then moved into quantitative work. And the annual study is now demonstrating brands that do this very well. And some of them are brands you can imagine, right? Apple and Amazon, Disney, are brands that have extremely strong bonds with their customers. Uh, so we've been able to decode some of the success that they're having, but we're also interested in looking at what happens across industries, which industries perform better than others, what happens across gender, income, uh, and other variables. So there's a kind of wealth of information that we can now kind of um, leverage and use. And when we're working with clients, uh, and as a consultant, you would appreciate this, right? We can use some of those uh, frameworks and understandings to help shape their success or their brands. The thing I think I also want to maybe share at this point is the reason why we did it, right? Um, from the very beginning, we've been looking at intimate brands, not just because we think you know, instinctually, this is a good idea, but we also were able to prove that intimate brands actually outperform Fortune 500 brands in terms of revenue and profit. It's, people are willing to spend more on intimate brands. In fact, they're willing to spend two times more on a brand that they're more intimate with than ones that they're not. Intimate brands drive better engagement. So there's a lot of real strong business reasons behind this, as well as just making kind of uh, intuitive sense. You know, sorry for leaving you guys, but Mario, uh, you wrote, you know, the new marketing paradigm book uh, in 2017, and you talk about intimate brands. And one of the things that's counterintuitive is I've been in marketing for 35 years is that I've always believed in the intimacy, the emotional connection uh, in marketing, right. but because reach wasn't to where it is today. See, people think that because there's so many people that we should appeal to the masses. There should be no intimacy in the brand, which is the polar opposite of what we should be doing. Your your book was ahead of its time uh, because 
the personal intimate brand now where it used to be able to reach 300,000 people in, in an average pop now gets to 30 million or 300 million people. Uh, and now the spectrum of intimacy has expanded into its own reality, as we saw, for example, in politics. Uh, you know, the, the difficulty we have in the separation of politics is intimacy marketing, is that each of the parties are so intimate with their own party that they're their own reality, and therefore there's no conversation in our politics because everyone is in a different reality because of intimate marketing. How do you see this uh, transpiring or transcending as you are right on top of what makes a brand so powerful today, but there is going to be a crossover back with the larger brands uh, that start getting and understanding how to be intimate with 3 billion people instead of just 30 million. Wow, there's a lot of profound thinking in that question. Let me kind of, let me try to answer now, now it. I can go offline. You answer it, I'll come back in a half an hour. <laughs> well, let me give you a couple of pieces on this. One, one is we've been, um, you know, excited about brands in the in the in the kind of broadest sense. So we've also tested this with intimate um, politicians, entertainers, athletes. Uh, you know, in your prior life, you you can imagine that um, you know some of those brands can be as intimate as any product or service, right? So we think the principles of intimacy apply whether it's a company, uh, you know, a nonprofit, an in, a person, or a politician. As to your question about scale, you know, whether it's a small group or hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of people, you know, I think that's an interesting kind of dynamic about what we've learned around intimacy. Here's one thing that um, we learned early on. When you bond with a brand, we learned that it's very similar to the way people bond with each other, meaning it's fluid and it's reciprocal. And so if there's one lesson in all of this is that we start to think about brands less as things and more as relationships, right? That they're fluid and, and two-way. So it isn't just about here's a product, I'm going to push this at you. Uh, it's really about me as the brand, understanding you as the consumer or customer and vice versa. And if you think of intimacy as kind of the new form of loyalty, right? So the highest form of intimacy we call fusing when you're inextricably linked with a brand. We think there's maybe three or four brands in your life that you can't live without, whether it's the car you drive, the coffee you drink or the shampoo you use, whatever it, you know, three or four of those possibly uh, in your life, right? When you're fused with that brand, your values and it's are mirrors of each other in a way. Right. And so for us, Intimacy is kind of like the ultimate North Star of your marketing uh, strategy, right? And it's kind of replacing the idea of loyalty in many ways. And loyalty is a very dated concept, right? I, uh, I use the same cell phone provider every month, but I'm not, I don't love that cell phone provider. Uh, so I'm a trap loyalist, right? Um, so a lot of layers to my answer to your very multi-layered question, but I hope that helps kind of paint a little bit of the clarity around intimacy. Well, even more than painting, it was an extraordinary display of uh, in-depth knowledge, which I certainly appreciate because uh, I know that was a compound sentence and question. So thank you very much. <laughs> it's hard not to go there with this topic. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine. 
Um, you, you mentioned principles of intimacy, and you touched on what I'm assuming is at least one of them, the, you know, the fluidity and reciprocity that's kind of built into that. What would be one or two others that uh, listeners would want to pay attention to? So there are, um, the way we measure intimacy is, is a really kind of straightforward and simple model. We kept it that way on purpose because we wanted something universal and, and, and kind of fundamental. So there are six unique archetypes to the way we bond with brands. Uh, no one is more important than the other. And it's kind of like the DNA or the characteristics of how we bond. Uh, I'll give you just a couple of them. One of them is this idea of ritual, a brand that you use on a frequent basis. basis. And Starbucks is like the ultimate ritual brand. Um, fulfillment is another archetype of, of uh, intimacy. And, and that's the idea of providing kind of ultimate service and efficacy. And uh, Amazon is like the ultimate fulfillment brand. Uh, another archetype is indulgence, this idea of pampering yourself. And, and that's really big with beauty brands, healthcare, beauty, but also big with things like Netflix, right? When we binge, we're indulging. Uh, so archetypes are these really interesting levers that you can take advantage of if you're trying to build a more intimate brand. And then the other thing that we look at is intensity. And we there's three stages. I mentioned fusing earlier as the top stage, the rare and most powerful stage. But there's also sharing and bonding as stages of intimacy that you kind of elevate through. Uh, and those are also important things to think about when you're trying to build a brand, mature a brand. You know, what stage of intimacy are you at with your customers? And the last thing I'll say, and this will uh, probably be uh, music to your ears, Blaine, is that when you're going to build intimacy, you start with your employees, right? You, you know, you guys talked at length at 3M about the internal culture there. One of the reasons that's a great brand is because the people who work there are extremely intimate with that uh, brand. So you kind of have to think about this also from an inside perspective as well as what uh, your external stakeholders are experiencing. Is there, um, and I'm going to keep this very simple. Uh, I've learned from my own uh, evolution. Is there an immediate intimacy? So I believe in stimulating So is there an immediate intimacy? Great question. You know, every year we add uh, questions to our survey, and I think about three or four years ago, we wanted to know, does, does the bond that you form with the brand, does it matter, uh, one, how often you use the brand? In other words, I may use Instagram 30 times a day, but I, uh, I'll use, you know, I'll drive my car maybe once a week. So does it matter frequency? And we learned that frequency does not matter. Is not correlative. It's not correlate with intimacy. But your question was interesting. So, are you more intimate with a brand early versus later? And we found out that the answer is yes. That those early moments, those early experiences, and I think this is also true in human relationships, have a more profound effect on the degree of intimacy that you form with a brand. And uh, maybe that's intuitive, but we were happy to see that finding. It's a good question. You know, the, the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt, kind of comes into play <laughs> here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so early you on, except for in your marriage, Blaine. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually increased. The the I'm going on record. Mine, too. I have mine, too. Mine, too. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Uh it's we got to have you back because I can tell oh, yeah. we're, this, we're just on the surface of knowledge. And I love how you have, through your experience, categorized things in a very simple manner so that people can learn about 
these relationships that people have with brands. And it is very similar to that, which we have with humans with an inanimate object or a solution. Uh, and I will, next time we have you on, I want to get involved with, you know, our senses, you know, and how, you know, the senses then can create a relationship of taste or smell or touch or feel where we have individual quantum likes and dislikes within the context and is disliking something. Can you have a relationship, uh, intimate brand that you just hate, but it also right. makes you attracted to it, which I've used in marketing with athletes uh, as well as, you know, the bad guy or, or something like that. Anyway, we, we will have you back because I have a m multiple <laughs> questions and I'll try to separate them actually in separate questions. <laughs> well, I'd love to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great evening. Thank you, Mario. Oh, Take care. Yeah. Take care. Mario Nantarelli. You know, you get someone on that you just know is a wealth of knowledge and both of the first guests, uh, you know, we're just scratching the surface and you can, you can tell by the, the answers that, okay, I need about three hours, Dave, and I'll really teach people what they need to know. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it happens. Uh, but anyway, we have our third guest on, uh, Simon Cohen. Uh, he is, of course, the founder and CEO of Henco Global. Welcome, yep. Simon. Well, can you oh, there, there, he there he is. There he is. <laughs> take the mute off. You know, it's crazy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, dude, you're, uh, I mean, who could not have someone that wrote a book called Fulfilled? <laughs> there it is back there, you know, it's, uh, it's a dream come true, right? It's, uh, I'm a business person. I'm not a writer, but I decided to write my story to share it with as many people as possible. So here I am talking to you proud and humbled. Well, you know, money has to play a role in fulfillment because you wrote a book about the secrets for an entrepreneur in search of success and how you found happiness, which I define as making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun. I would love to start with your relationship with money uh, in the in the realm of fulfillment. You know something, David, money is something that we all need to survive. Let's call it starting from the base, you know, from the pyramid of Manslow when you start from scratch. But when you meet some basic needs, then you know something, the rest is just luxury. And the more you share, the more you get. So one day I decided to stop chasing money as an objective. And I started to chase money as a consequence of what I do correctly and helping others in just finding fulfillment and finding, you know, um, um, uh, pleasure in helping people. So as much as I empowered my people, the more that they were have helping me to achieve my, let's say, economical success. So um, one day I realized that money is not an objective, it's a consequence of what you do correctly. And that's uh, my mantra today. You know, I, 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 I work for pleasure. I work for you know, to have fun. Life is too short to be happy only the weekends. So, you know, we have to live it at its best. And if you are not happy at your at your uh, work, you cannot be have a happy life. You know, you cannot have a happy life. You cannot be happy if you're hungry or you're cold, right? So if you make money, that will help you a bit. You know, maybe about 15, 20% of the formula it's uh, for happiness, it's, it's, it's uh, the economical part for sure. You know, this journey that you uh, started, Simon, is, is uh, captured in a case study that the uh, London School of Business uh, undertook. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, number one, why they chose you to write this case study? And number two, what it's meant to your, um, your yeah, 
Yeah, and instead of chasing success, you found happiness. Yeah, what's it meant to your happiness? Because it's 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 an externalized way of looking at things, but it really, I've got a hunch, has to do with the way that you've internalized what you're doing. Sure. You know, um, in 2010, I went to a YPO event in Panama, and it happens mm-hmm. that the guy next next to me sitting at the dinner, you know, he was a professor from London Business School, and he asked me, hey, "Tell me your story about your business. What you do?" And I said, "You know, I have a logistics company." And one day I decided to have the happiest company in the world, even happier than Disney or as happy as Disney. You know, so, <laughs> hey, but you do logistics. Logistics is not related to happiness. You know, it's crazy. And I said, listen, this happened to me. I was traveling in China back in 2006. And um, I had a problem in my heart. And I was uh, told that I had a heart attack back then. And um, it changed my life. You know, it was not a heart attack. I have a, 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 a syndrome that is called Wolf-Parkinson-White, which is a problem, an electrical problem in my heart. I have a, a cable that is duplicated. And uh, suddenly I said, hey, listen, if I can die one day, you know, I want to be happy that day. So as I don't know which day I'm going to die, I have to be happy every day. So I decided to start cha- changing my philosophy and then this guy uh, from London Business School, John Mullins, who is a very dear friend of mine, he decided to write my story and to teach it uh, for the MBAs. So after that, you know, it's been, I gave a conference and my speech was super successful in London Business School. And then everybody was inviting me to give speeches. And then I became a pre- professional speaker. And it's, it was like a roller coaster. And back in 2020, Harvard Business School also wrote a case study of my life and our philosophy, high performance, happy people, how if you take care, good care of people and you really treat them as human beings, then they will perform better. So we created this philosophy called high performance, happy people, which stands in three big pillars. Uh, Wellness, first, sleep well, eat well, exercise. Mindfulness, so being at peace, your mind trained, you know, if you, if you have a religion to be at peace with God, whoever you want to pray, just be at peace in your mind. Then happiness, to have enough time to laugh, to enjoy, to, to, to do whatever you want, to give, to help people. And then if you're at peace in those three pillars, then you can be a high performer. So that's basically, in a nutshell, our philosophy. And, you know, philosophies are great. And I've worked with my philosophy of gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. Uh, happiness is my mission in life. I'm empowering, you know, over a billion people to be happy in my lifetime, finding a thousand people like Blaine and you that will empower a thousand to empower a thousand. And those are great philosophies. I have also instituted daily practices in order to execute on the philosophy. I'm completely blown away. Uh, with the credibility of your high performance, happy uh, people formula. But I'd like to know some daily practices. You got a logistic company that's the happiest place on earth. I know that there's not a big mouse that's going to greet me when I come see you. So what are some of the daily practices that can take a logistics company and make it the happiest place to work? Sure. You know, David, first of all, I've, I've followed you since many, many years ago, and I know what you do and your mission to, you know, um, turn 20, a billion people to, to happy people, right? It's, it's, it's something that we all, uh, we are chasing the same goals, right? I don't know. I don't have the number of a billion people, but I really would like to spread happiness. My mission in life, it's, it's just to spread happiness, right? 
the, or, or I would say that's my purpose. It, it changed from being a mission to being a purpose. And what do we do in our company? You know, before COVID, because right now we're home office still in Mexico and, and all over the world in our offices, we're still working from home. But what do we do? Uh, it's very simple. It's just being truly human, humans, okay? So take care of people. Think about people that they love their kids as much as, the, as you love yours. If you can go as an owner to a football game in the afternoon of your, of your son or, your, or the ballet festival of your daughter, they can also go. If you trust them, if you give them this empowerment to make them feel owners, they will think as owners. So this is a matter of trust. Remember that I work, that I live in a, let's say, third world country. It's not like here. Like, guys, we have a lot of issues in, in, in South America and Central America and North America. And those issues that we have, they are addressed as taking good care of your people. Humans are humans. I love my kids as much as you love yours. So one day, this is a great anecdote, uh, maybe in 2005, um, I have a very dear friend of mine working with me uh, since two, year 1999, okay? So I went to the Mother's Day Festival of my daughter, and when I came back, I was, I was just laughing so loud because my daughter did something really funny and I got it on video. So I called my friend, hey, listen, look at this. Look what Joanna did today. And it was funny. And I asked him, hey, when is the Mother's Day festival of your daughter? And he said it was today. And I was like, why didn't you go? Because I have to work, I'm, a, I'm an employee. And I'm like, no way. If I can go, you can go. We are equals. We are the same. Leaders, we are not owners, we are leaders. We just have to lead and to inspire people. And the more we do for, for our staff and our coworkers, the more they do, they do for the company. So that's basically my philosophy, David. This is what we do every day at Henko. It, this is a very human company, like taking care of people if they are sick, if they have things to do, if they are worried. I mean, we teach them how to sleep well. We have seminars on sleep. We have seminars on eating habits. We have seminars on exercising. We give them time to do it. And then when they come to the office, they're just like Olympic athletes, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the concept. If you give them enough time to work and rest and meditate and eat healthy, when they work, they are just bullets, you know? Yeah. The master, uh, I said the master, the mindset, uh, Simon, that you're working with there. I, I want to just mark that out for the listeners. This is a fundamental shift in how leadership is approached. Yeah, how you are actually running Henkel. It is a fundamental shift away from command and control, away from the, the top down, the uh, boss employee. I mean, yeah, you said we're all equal. Yeah, I've got a, a role and a title that's different than yours. And I've got perhaps different responsibilities within the context of the company. But you're a human being. You have, you know, you know you've got a daughter that has got a Mother's Day festival to go to. Sure. So, so the pyramid is huge. Yeah. And the pyramid has to be upside down, right? Instead mm -hmm. of people in the bottom serving the top, us in the top should be serving the ones in the bottom. Yep. So if I'm there for them, they will be there for me too. But I am the founder. I am the owner. I am not God. I don't know everything. They know everything, not me. So if we lead in a selfless way with the feet on the ground, 
with humbleness, then we can share and exchange some ideas and maybe they can have the solution for a big problem. Yeah. It's not you, you're not there in the, in, the, in the field, you know, listening to people complaining about containers being ex expensive or, 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 or the scarcity of equipment nowadays, right? Yeah. I am not there, they are there. So when we go there and we listen, we have two ears and one mouth to listen double and speak half. So we listen and we solve the problems. And that's, uh, you know, the things that uh, matters the most for me. And I can tell, you know, my definition of leader is an intelligent follower. Uh, and, you know, to display that so eloquently to the employees, one of the realities in my mission of empowering people to be happy is that I don't have control over other people's happiness. And understanding that is very important when you have, you know, these thoughts about purpose of happiness being your purpose and empowering other people to be happy and giving and receiving and sharing happiness and witnessing happiness. But we also have to take people where they are. And the happiest people have minutes and moments uh, that they're not happy. Uh, unhappy people have minutes and moments when they are happy. What do you do uh, when you have someone uh, that is suffering uh, innately, quantum, uh, not happy within as your organization grows, the culture dissipates and, and, and you have shared experiences. What do you do with an unhappy employee? David, let me tell you something that I read in, in Talden Shahar's book, uh, okay? It's okay not to be okay. The happiest person in the world is not always cheering and dancing on top of the desk, right? Happiness is not that. First of all, we have to define happiness. And when you define it correctly, then you can chase it correctly. If not, this is like a golf driver, right? When you golf and when you, you drive 300 yards long, if you hit it like maybe a few inches right, it will go 100 yards right. So the, the further you want to go, the wider it goes. So happiness has to be defined before chasing it. And it's okay not to be okay. And let me tell you this story. My dad was diagnosed on October 7th, um, 2019 with a brain tumor. It was a terrible day for me. It was a nightmare. We flew to Jacksonville. We took him from Mexico to Jacksonville for an emergency operation, a surgery in the brain. Uh, my father was my best friend and my inspiration, my mentor, my everything, right? And he was dying. And on November 5th, after spending uh, almost a month in, in, in the clinic, I had to give a conference in front of uh, 10,000 people in Monterrey, Mexico. So I decided to fly back to Mexico, but I was broken in my inside and I have to speak about happiness. How can you speak about happiness when you're totally broken in the inside? My father was dying. My mother-in-law was dying. They were both sick. And I have to speak about happiness. So I gave the best speech I've ever given in my life. It was, I was truly inspired and that speech was incredible. And when I finished everything, everybody gave me a beautiful ovation. And when I finished, there was, there was a Q and A uh, session. And the last question was exactly the same question as you told us, as the one you asked me. And I said, you know something, when you're totally broken is when you build happiness because you can value and cherish the good moments and life is about solving problems life is about understanding death and when you understand that we are vulnerable and that one day you will not be here i will not be here 
then you can find happiness. If not, it's absolutely impossible to find happiness if you think that you are Superman or Spider-Man or Batman altogether in a blender. So <laughs> it is important to understand how vulnerable we are and that we can die any minute. So in that sense, that's what I tell my people when they're not in the best uh, time uh, or, or doing good. So, hey guys, it's okay not to be okay. You can smile, you can face life in a different way. You can enjoy life with the ups and downs because that's life. We all have problems. You have problems, I have problems. Every single person of our audience have problems. But it depends on you how you face life. If you face it with a big smile and good energy, or you face it with a big, big, long, 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 you know, uh, a mad uh, uh, face and, and, and you're just uh, cursing everyone with bad energy. It's your decision because the problems are there and they are the same for everyone. Yeah. You know, I the Stoics it. got uh, this philosophical tenet principle, memento mori, remember I must die. Um, and if, if I really in, you know, integrate that into my beingness, I go through life just as you're talking about it, you know, without regret because I know I'm not going to be here. I remember I must die. So uh, just that knowledge, and it's it's a hard one to yeah, to grasp. It's a hard one to actually embrace fully. But if I can really get it, I can handle. Literally, in my experience, I can handle anything that comes at me, and I can handle it with equanimity. I can handle it with joy, and joy is a little bit different than happiness but I can actually move into that space. And also, you know, uh, that Einstein was not, a, was not a stupid person, right? Einstein yeah. said that everything is relative. So yep. if you compare your problems with death, you have no problems, right? Exactly. I mean, like, like everything is relative. So, okay, the problems can be huge for some of us, for sure. We can all have problems, but it depends on the approach you give the problems and the dimension how you approach them and solve them, because we all have problems. There's a very nice phrase in my book that I will just ask you to read later, or, or I will, if I have time, I will just go back and read it. But life is not, life is not fair. Life is not beautiful. Life is, it's, it's ugly sometimes, but you have to face it anyway. So face it with a big smile. I love it. That's how you live a fulfilled life as an entrepreneur, as anyone. Book released in February. It is the ultimate guide of high performance and happiness. What else could we ask for? Simon, we are just uh, blessed to have you here. You you can feel your energy and you know that uh, the lessons will keep on coming. And I'm so glad that you're sharing the solutions with us. We are on the same mission, all three of us. I applaud you and thank you for allowing us to share your happiness and energy and frequency. Please come back and visit us again. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the invite. And let me tell you that you can count on me for reaching that number of a billion people. So whatever I can do for both of you guys and for your audience, I'm here, you know, here to help 24-7. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. You got it, my friend. We'll see you soon. Simon Cohen, author of Fulfilled. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's awesome. Wow. I love that I, that conversation could have gone on for a long time. I love that conversation. Yeah, he's the real deal. All yeah. right, we have one, one last guest coming on to ask us a question. Uh, there she is, Lil Roberts, Zendu. And uh, Zendu is a company, and uh, 
just extraordinary growth during the pandemic. And I was hoping, Lil, welcome to Office Hours. Give us a little bit of background on uh, Zendu. And I think you have a question for Blaine and I. Absolutely. Thank you, David. And hello, Blaine. Pleasure to be here with you guys. Loved your prior guest here. Um, so Zendu is an online bookkeeping and accounting solution for small business owners with less than 20 employees. And guys, probably what's unique about the company is I'm not an accountant or a CPA. Serial entrepreneur saw a hole in the marketplace and that most small businesses are underserved by the traditional accounting industry, right? And so we decided we're going to set out and solve that problem. So we have customers in 46 states and 12 countries, and we're having a great time. Yeah, and great growth as well. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, I've been involved in so many different small businesses, and I would say there's certain business issues, critical business issues that are present in 99.9% .9 of small businesses. And accounting is absolutely, because you're too small to hire a competent person, um, but yet you're too big to just do it yourself. And so I think that's what Zendu provides is that solution uh, for that. It's kind of it reminding me of what my father used to say about me, right? Um, he used to say, David, you're too light for heavy work and too heavy for light work. That, <laughs> and that's, that's the solution that Zendu solves. Uh, and I, I definitely uh, am after this going to look into it because I still face that issue in a couple of my businesses and would love to look into how exactly this bridges that gap. Um, Ironically, you have questions for us, so we, we, we'd love to share uh, some of our experience to help maybe accelerate the extraordinary growth that you're achieving. We, we would love it. Thank you. And look, we'd love to have you. We, we have actually several uh, studio production shows that use us. And, okay. so, right. and, and you know, two of our big uh, audience groups are e-commerce and professional services. So love, love to have it. If you reach out, please uh, let me take care of you personally, okay, to make sure. All right. All right. Thank you. So, guys, you know, the question for you really is on behalf of the small business community. And that is, um, as we're in this this evolution of, of payment systems, when do you think small business owners should start to think about accepting digital currency, specifically crypto? You know, because it kind of mirrors maybe 30 years ago when credit cards first came about and nobody wanted to accept credit cards. So what's your advice to the small business community, please? Blaine, I, I would say yeah, be judicious, be uh, um, uh, intelligent, but be willing to take that leap. Absolutely. I, I remember I was in a cab in Germany a number of years ago and I tried to give them a credit card to pay for the, uh, the ride. It, it, it didn't go well uh, because because they didn't have the technology uh, that would enable processing at that point in time. They had the the physical swipe that they could have done it, but he was not comfortable with the card. That's and it's that lack of comfort. Comfort comes with familiarity. So uh, I think the more small business owners can educate themselves about, and I'm not talking specifically about Ethereum or Bitcoin or anything else, but just the 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 crypto context you know what is that and, and it is coming i mean it's in some areas it's going to replace fiat currency um it's coming and i i, I want to be in front of it and i don't want to be uh, on the back side of that tidal wave and i think too as determined upon the small business or especially in e-commerce you can be a small business but have a huge audience um, which then feeds that small business and create extraordinary growth and margins for you. Um, I think as you see the merchant service business moving in to alternative currencies, 
uh, companies like Stripe, uh, PayPal, Venmo, uh, that it'll be an obvious uh, time to, to move. Uh, when when I want to be on the first uh, merchant service uh, provider that allows any cryptocurrency because it makes it easy for me to scale. I think if I have to have my own Coinbase or Chainlink or some other platform in order to effectuate it, I'm not going to get the return uh, that's necessary. I think today's the day to start doing research, due diligence, and then wait for the first provider uh, to take crypto and jump on board early because you'll get some early customers and that we had the marketing person on earlier, Lil, uh, talk about the different six archetypes of marketing. And we talked about intimacy, loyalty, loyalty uh, in the first adopter side of things always causes and creates intimacy in a marketing aspect. So I think the time right now is to do your due diligence. And I think in the next few months, you're going to find one of the bigger service providers accepting crypto that just now allows you to check a box and say, I take Visa, I take American Express, and I take Bitcoin and Ethereum. So uh, it, it's going to be coming very shortly. If you are a small business owner, you got to be more interested than interesting. Do your due diligence now because it's absolutely coming and you'll absolutely want to accept it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. I love, I love that saying. You have to be more interested than interesting. How true, right? Yep. Thank you guys Absolutely. for all you do. You know, you are out there supporting the small business owners across America and worldwide. Well, I also uh, want to point out congratulations because I, I know you're a serial entrepreneur and I always point this out because I do have three teenage daughters and thank <laughs> you for providing a milestone to them that, you know, I always tell them, you see her? She did it and she had a hundred times the obstacles that you have. It's hard enough to be an entrepreneur, uh, but to be a, a woman entrepreneur and to have succeed and grow and provide solutions. Thank you so much for creating a milestone for my girls. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, guys. Anytime. I'm going to give you a call. You got your next customer. You got it. <laughs> All right. Have an awesome day. Thank, thank you. you. Great. Awesome. Wow. I, I'm telling you, not, I, not just me as a customer, I have so many of you, I do a lot of consulting and it's always an issue, right? The mistakes that are made. And it's so critical that, uh, you know, on the receivable side, I'm amazed, you know, there could be a two, $3 million uh, company that I'm consulting and their bookkeeper misses a $150,000 receivable, right? And yep. you're like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. you know, or I've had, you know, my own miss payroll. And when you're a you know, it's one thing like you, you got people waiting for that paycheck and, yep. and you forget to do that. I mean, there's so many different things that uh, the accounting system that's accurate and, and has the reminders and the alerts and everything that Zendu uh, can bridge that gap. Anyway, I could talk to you all day, my friend. We got four <laughs> minutes to do the takeaway take of the day. What do you got for me? Oh, boy. Um, why don't you, uh, where do I even begin with this? This is such a rich day uh, talk uh, today. There's so much in here. Um, I think I'm going to land on the word mindfulness uh, for a lot of different reasons here. But each one of our guests today spoke in some way, shape or form about the power of actually being intentional, about being mindful about what I'm doing, not being knee jerk, not being reactive, actually approaching what I'm doing from a position of uh, actually uh, engaging, not from an automatic perspective, but engaging with deliberation. And, and there's a lot for me to unbundle in that. Um, but, but that's essentially what I'm walking away from today is the power of mindfulness in all of its varied forms. 
And I'm not talking here about sitting and staring at my navel and going, oh, um. uh, I'm, I'm really talking about what is it that I'm doing? Why am I doing it for the sake of what? What is the consequence of this? Those sorts of pre-thoughts uh, come into play here. You know, the, you know, the, the chasing of success that moved me to a pursuit of happiness. Uh, I, I love Simon's take on that. That was, uh, yeah, and he wouldn't have gotten there if he'd not been mindful, if he'd not been paying attention. So that's what I'm taking away from it uh, today. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking away, you know, being human. Uh, you know, it's as the world gets chaotic and complex and you can focus in on what's missing, what you don't have, what's going against, you, you know, what the separation, all, all you, can, you can focus in on that. But I just found it, uh, inspiring today that is, you know, getting me emotional about, you know, you got the big company 3M, but here you have, you know, a young woman who has gone from intern to CMO. And then you have Mario that, you know, talks about this human emotion that we have towards brands, individual mm -hmm. brands and, and product solutions and services. Uh, and then of course, Simon uh, Cohen speaks for himself when it comes to being human. You know, he has implemented humanness as a ultra high performance uh, attitude to provide the most valuable reward or revenue called happiness. And then you get the most pragmatic solution in the world, uh, an accounting system for a small business. Yeah. But all, all I can see is a successful entrepreneur, a human, this woman who is you know 770 percent increase expanding her headcount 25 percent during the pandemic giving jobs to people uh you know all it's just you know one of the top five thousand uh you know uh, fastest growing companies or 10 fastest growing companies in uh, of the fortune 5000 right yep. but but in the end she's just an extraordinary human and we all are the same and you know, we implement rule number six to be human. Don't take yourself so seriously. But I think in the end, being human, uh, what the lesson for me is, is just all these people are super kind. Yeah. They're just kind people. Kind and, people. They're, and, and they're successfully fulfilled, happy, ultra high performers, just like you. And uh, so you're the fifth wheel on this foursome today of kindness and humanness and I just want to say God bless you and thank you for being my friend. Hey, always and the same is reciprocated. <laughs> you got it. My friend, Blaine Bartlett, if you want to learn that mindset of happiness and kindness and ultra performance, learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. Check it out. Mindset Mastermind. Thank you for joining me, Blaine. My pleasure, David. Take care. <laughs> All See right, everyone. See you next week. Tomorrow we start early. Office hours is at five. Clubhouse is at six. I got the great Marshall Falk and I talking about financial literacy at 6 a.m. tomorrow on Clubhouse. Training is at 11 a.m. Pacific time. We got 8 a.m. Instagram, but 11 a.m. Pacific time is training. How to manifest everything you desire rapidly and accurately. If you want to materialize your ideas, come tune in tomorrow. We're blessed. And you can reach me, David at dmelzer.com. David at dmelzer.com. Most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds.